Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please welcome this afternoon's guest moderator, theater columnist for the New York Post, and co-host of the weekly talk show, Theater Talk, on PBS. You can also see him every week on I Miss in the Morning, Michael Riedel. Thank you. Thank you uh, very much. You are in for a uh, treat this afternoon. Um, I saw this uh, terrific show, Here Lies Love, the public theater, about uh, four or five months ago. And I can assure you, had this show moved to Broadway, it would have won the Tony Award last year for Best Musical and Best Score. And I think some of the cast members you're going to meet would also have won Tony Awards for their terrific performances. So I'm going to give you a little uh, sample right now of uh, Here Lies Love. I miss the 80s. I miss the 80s. Uh, please help me welcome to the stage the creator of Here Lies Love, Mr. David Byrne. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, and a big hand for Amelda Marcos herself, Ms. J.G. Macapugai. Did I do all right with that name, J.G.? You said it right on. You said it very good. Thank you. And... Um, Someone, uh, I've had admired him uh, many, many years on Broadway. He is a terrific performer and a friend of mine, Mr. Jose Lana, who plays Ferdinand Marcos. <laughs> and their nemesis, 
uh, Nino Aquino. Please welcome Conrad Ricamora. All right, David. So you um, began, I believe, this show uh, not as a musical, but as a concept album in the sort of the way that Andrew Lloyd Webber did Jesus Christ Superstar and that sort of thing back in the, back in the days? Well, that's what came out first, but it was always intended to be uh, a kind of theatrical experience, although originally I imagined the theatrical experience taking place in a mega disco, in a giant dance club. Um, and I couldn't really real get that to happen. Um, but <laughs> after a number of years, the mega dance clubs slowly shrunk. <laughs> they're not very, they're divided into VIP rooms now. And so, but eventually it happened. In, and so now it takes place in a recreation of a dance club with a big, Big room. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it uh, down at the public theater, you could, you actually stand watching the show and and dance along with the cast in a club that uh, I must say I remember uh, when I first came here in the uh, in the early to mid eight to mid eighties. Uh, what was your attraction to uh, Amelda Marcos as a as a character for a musical? Well, she's a, um, a kind of outrageous character uh, that I I'm old enough to remember from the news. But when I read, uh, I don't know when, 10 or so years ago, that she had a disco ball in her New York apartment and would invite, she would go out to the New York clubs and she would invite friends over to her house and turn the disco ball on and they'd dance in the, in the townhouse. I thought, she's really got the soundtrack going kind of all the time. So I thought, maybe since that's, that music is already the soundtrack to her life, maybe I should see if a, a story can be told that way. And I, I, I would imagine she might have been uh, dancing to some of your, some of your music in the, in, in the townhouse at one point. Well, yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> it's possible. Although I think this would have been kind of the Studio 54 era and the kind of the Studio 54 and the kind of CBGB mud club scene where there was a little bit of overlap, but not a whole lot. <laughs> you don't know Amelda's personal playlist, though. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> talking heads maybe on it. Uh, JG uh, began in the ensemble, and she has been recently uh, promoted to the star of the show. Hey. Uh, I'm curious, JG. I once asked um, Patty Lapone about playing Avita, not a uh, dissimilar kind of character, and I said, "How do you play somebody who's..." really kind of a horrible person. And uh, Patty said, she's a bitch, but I love her. And I wonder if you have the same feeling about uh, uh, Amelda. Well, it's a very interesting question because, well, first of all, you just put me in the same line as Patty Lapone, so <laughs> I'm like, all right, it's a good day. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's such a complicated woman, you know? And and I've this is the second Imelda Marcos musical that I've done, but and so I've I've been connected to this woman for for several years, and it's she is someone that I've been so curious about for years, and I've I've worked hard to understand her, and what comes out is as a result of all the the research, and I can't say whether I love her or hate her, but 
without a doubt, she's definitely someone that you can't take your eyes off of. And also, it's fascinating the way she is portrayed in the show because she comes from absolutely nothing. She's total, total poverty. And in some ways, you kind of root for her to, to succeed and to make it to the top of this society that has closed, could, could shut her out completely. Well, absolutely. When you see the show, um, it starts out from her very humble beginnings all the way up through the end of the People Power Revolution. And... I think you, as an audience member, you uh, go along for the ride that she went on, and we try to play it just as honestly and as truthfully as possible. And by the end of the show, you decide for yourself like what your true opinion of her is. And I've, after the show, I get people that um, are upset. I get people that are in love with her. And you just draw that conclusion af- as a result of seeing the show. To, uh, to that point, Jose, uh, I know that... Um your family uh, was uh, your parents from the Philippines, and they, I believe, had to leave uh, when the Marcoses came to power. I mean, do you have people who come to the show who find it appalling that the Marcoses are the star of a, of uh, a hit musical? Completely, completely. And I'll actually side with Patti Lapone. I hate her. Um, um, my parents were, were, were major at Mar- anti-Marcos activists in the Philippines, and we actually left. I was I was a martial law baby. I was born in the Philippines during martial law. And we actually, we were part of that massive exodus of the Philippines during, during that time uh, because it just life in the Philippines was just not where they wanted to raise their kids. So um, what's, what's important for me that we're, that we're doing is that we're telling the story. And I think because martial law was such um, a dark time in Filipino history, uh, people don't like talking about it, you know? And I think what's important is that our job is to tell the story and to play the characters. Do I like Marcos? No. I, my job is to play him and to present him in a way that um, I think is truthful to history, and then, uh, but then uh, it all leads to the People Power Revolution, which is, I think, the most important part of the show, when the country took, the, took their, their government back. Yeah. And one of the uh, extraordinary things, um, uh, Conrad playing Aquino, uh, he, Aquino knew Imelda growing up, and they were, they were lovers at one point. Does he still have a, have a, have a kind of a passion for her, or...? Uh, well, that's something that I guess you would have to ask David because that's something he came across in during his research uh, was that they uh, dated when when they were both before their big political careers. Um, so, what do you, does he still have? Does he still, does he still uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, find her attractive in, in your portrayal of him, even though he's now on the opposite uh, political? Oh Sorry. no! I th- oh yeah! I mean, we have to. We we're telling the story of that they did date, and uh, yeah, the I think at the beginning of their courtship, he definitely found her attractive. But in my uh, interpretation, I think it's kind of uh, he saw that maybe there wasn't a solid person there, uh, and then decided to move on. Uh, that's just where I came from. You get, you, get, you get a sense that she, that Imelda, still has a little something yeah, for him. Absolutely. Um, and which is so tragic because oh, you feel like when she sends him into exile. She yeah. Take, well, and she then, takes him, gets him out of, out of jail, which sends him to a heart, uh, heart hospital because he's, he's having heart troubles after... She and her husband put him into jail. And even the, the research that I did, uh, when he was when he was exiled and he, he went to he was living in Boston, she w- had her townhouse in New York and called uh, 
upon him to come visit her just so she, she could parade him around to all of her like rich, super fancy friends. Uh, and then he, he left thinking, oh, we, we didn't really talk about our country or anything. Uh, she's just kind of so far gone at God, that point. It's, it's like Gossip Girl or something. It's like, he was yeah. a prop. Yeah, you can't her. write this. It's crazy. And Melda was notorious. She had a list of all the people that she felt betrayed her, and it didn't matter who you were. Like Even when she was a humble woman just starting out um, working in Manila, someone that gave her, uh, told her to go get some change um, to get a drink or something, she remembered as First Lady, again, she came up to him and said, I remember you. You were the one that made me go out to run an errand for you and make sure I brought back the change as first lady. Wow. <laughs> uh, Jose, uh, there are still people, though, in the Philippines who, who, who love the Marcos. Is yeah, that not they're, true? They're called loyalists. Uh, and, and I think they're, they're people who, um, you know, by the way, I don't know if everybody here is aware that Amelda Marcos is alive and she is a second term congresswoman in the Philippines. I think she just turned 81 or 83? 85. 85. Um, and her daughter, Aimee, is the governor of the northern region of the Philippines, uh, Locos. And, um, you know, they have, there are legions and legions of fans, and they're called loyalists. And I think they're slowly actually coming out of the closets uh, of the woodwork like, because, they, because Amelda is now, has now been elected to her second term. And a lot of them see them as their king and queen who were dethroned, basically. And um, um, even though they stole billions and billions of dollars that they still live off of and are hiding in Swiss bank accounts all over the world. And it's just, it's, 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 it's fascinating to me. And they've come to the show. Um, the loyalists have come yeah, to the show. Yeah, they've come to the show. We've said hello to them afterwards. And um, it's funny. Uh, you see what you want to see when you're, when you're so on a certain side of a political spectrum. They saw the show and they somehow didn't see the last two songs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they didn't. They, they missed they, that part. They where missed that part. At, they missed the part where Aquino gets off the plane and is shot and yes, killed. That they part just they were missed. like, oh, that. Oh no. Like, we liked everything before that. The party. We liked the party. <laughs> um, and so yeah, they have come, and, and it's interesting. Like they 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 leave and they get slight amnesia about the last three, two or three songs of the show. But isn't this in some ways what you're getting at, um, David, in this in this musical that the Marcoses are providing the people with the. Uh, entertainment with bread and circuses to keep their minds off the fact that they're looting the country. To some extent, yes. There was a, they were uh, very glamorous. Um, they, they were fed not just in the Philippines for being glamorous, but around the world, you know, cover a Time magazine, you know, all around the world, uh, people thought, oh, look, they're so pretty and they're so nice. And, Looks so rich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It looks. And Cindy Adams and the New York Post love them. <laughs> yes, um, and to make things more complicated, um, early on in their political careers, they did do a lot of the things that they promised they would do. They built art centers and they built roads and hospitals and clinics and schools and all these things that they said they would do. They actually did. So the and and so people there at least, loved them even more than, not just because they were glamorous. And then, yeah, it gradually, went to pot. things changed. They, that's, they, a, 
that's what I think is the, is the is the is the saddest part of it is that the potential they had really started off well, uh, and potential uh, Marcos had as a leader and as a president. His first term was was fantastic. They 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 did so many great things for the country, and then they just got corrupted with the with the greed and the power. And then the second term, they spent the second term trying to get a third term, and when the third term didn't happen, they declared martial law. Yeah, Conrad, in your uh, research about uh, about Aquino, what? He he knows he's going to be killed when he goes back to that country, does he not? I mean, is, he's, oh, he's, yeah. he's going to martyr himself walk, getting off that plane. Well, I mean, he had a couple of different options or, or scenarios in his head. He said either he'll immediately be taken back to jail or he'll be shot. Uh, the, the, actually, those are the only two <laughs> that, he, that he thought were possible. Um, but he wanted to spur the people into action because it was nobody was... Uh, was paying attention, or or uh, or they were. It was just, a, I think, a, a an air of complacency uh, in the in the country, um, and he knew that. I just I love the fact that he was all about empowering the people themselves, and not having, uh, you know, come <laughs> come like this uh, a trickle down effect. He wanted it to come from from the people, from, and we need to create our country. Uh, from the bottom up, uh, and you can't have a democracy. I don't. There's there's so many things that mirror like things that I'm passionate about with our own society that you can't have a, a democracy if we're not educating all uh, all of the people of our country. Um, and I mean, he truly believed in unionizing uh, the workers on his own uh, plantations. Uh, so I just, I mean, I think he was such a self-sacrificing and. Th uh, thinking about the bigger picture and not just for himself. Yeah. Uh, now, Here Lies Love, the, the soundtrack is out. You can see the, this reel on YouTube. Do we have any sense, do we know at all, David, if Imelda Marcos herself has watched any of Here Lies Love on, on YouTube, or did you send her the cast album? Uh, someone gave her the cast album, yes, but I don't know what her reaction was. As far as I know, she hasn't been seen the show here or in London, as far as I know. But is there some talk about it going to the Philippines at some point? And, and when it does, how would, how would people in the Philippines react to seeing this musical? Would it divide the country again, Jose? I, I think so. I mean, I've actually spoken to my... I have some, some friends and work colleagues in the Philippines, and I've talked openly about it. I think it's going to instantly become more politicized in the Philippines, obviously. And I think whoever presents it, whatever producer presents it, is gonna have to stake a claim in, in what, what their opinion is. Cause it's, there's such a, it's a, you know, she's a congresswoman, like it's, it's and she, and so there are a lot of people who, dis, who would decide to selectively forget that part of history. Uh, martial law is, is still not taught in a lot of the public schools in the Philippines. So there's entire generations of Filipinos growing up, not knowing a big block of 20 years of, of history, you know? So it's, it's gonna be interesting when, when it goes, if and when it goes to the Philippines. Well, what's great about Here Lies Love Here is that when our families come to see the show, by the way, there's my dad. Hi, dad. <laughs> what's wonderful about, you know, families coming, Filipino families coming to see the show is it spurs conversations between um, the cast and, and our families and like Filipino American children and their own parents, because it's not necessarily talked about even within our own community. David, you were, I'm sorry, Jose. Actually, um, Imelda, my, my, my counterpart in the London company, Mark Bautista, uh, he's a Filipino like pop star in, in the Philippines. And before he came to London for rehearsal, he, his management set up a, a personal 
luncheon meeting with Imelda, and he was really? Instagramming photos of it. His Instagram title is I am Mark Bautista, so look it up. Um, and the funny story about the whole, he, they, I think they met for like an hour, and they had merienda, which is like, you know, uh, little, little tea sandwiches. He showed her, um, I think he had the Here Lies Love, dem, um, Here Lies Love concept album in the, in the red booklet, and he wanted to show her. And she's like, she thought it was a gift. <laughs> so she's like, thank you. And he's like, no, I want that back. <laughs> That's mine. And he's and autograph it, please. <laughs> and she still has it. And he's waiting for his management to have enough courage to say, "We want that back." That's those. That Given her history, I think once she gets her hands on something, <laughs> it never gonna... it never goes back to the person it belonged to. Uh, we're gonna throw open for questions for uh, David and for the and for the cast, sir. So, David, given all the attention that this is. Uh... The show has gotten. Do you have other shows in mind, and, and maybe to take some of your earlier albums and translate them into a show, or reconceive them, like uh, stop making sense from a stage show to from a concert to a, a in some way a, a stage show? Wow, I think somebody else could could do that. Maybe I don't think I would want to touch it. Uh, but I, I am writing another musical and. Uh, about another historical figure, but it's kind of still in the writing stage. So it, these things can take a while. <laughs> a lot of revisions and workshops and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, some of these guys have been through it on this one. Um, it, it evolves in that process, that process. And we should give credit to Alex Timbers, the director, who did yeah. a ter terrific job of staging this, staging this show. Hi. Um, I, I actually went to um, grade school and high school in one of the schools they built there in the Philippines. So this is sort of an interesting place for me to be here because I grew up um, with parents who were extremely affectionate about the Marcuses. I grew up up north and, you know, we just, um, unlike many of the families who left during martial law, we didn't have such uh, privilege to leave. Uh, we didn't have that sort of resource. Um, so now living here, this is obviously an issue that's very contentious in our community. What sort of slant do you want people to walk away with when you created um, this show? Because even for myself, it's still um, an issue that I'm trying to resolve. So I still am a little bit, um, there's still a battle raging in my head as to what sort of feeling I should get out of it. And I was just really interested in what you wanted um, specifically the Filipino-American audience to get out of it. Do you want to tackle that one, David? Yikes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure oh, Jose yeah, has an opinion on that. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I didn't have intentions for what the Filipino-American audience was going to get out of it, but as Jose said, what, what we discovered when we started performing it was that a lot of that era was just not discussed. Um, and, or people knew about it, they knew about it from their parents, but they kind of didn't, wasn't something that was discussed at the dinner table. And the show kind of made, kind of brought it back up. And we heard stories of people going to their parents and going, all right, tell us what happened. Um, tell us what, what, what was going on from your point of view, which I thought that's kind of amazing that if a show you know, a kind of a work of art or, or entertainment or whatever you want to call it would actually make people kind of go back to their parents and kind of, I want to know about what, what happened in your life. For, 
folks who, um, what did I say, non-Filipino Americans, um, I think what, what they see is, what, what I'm happy about the show and, and what the cast does also, is that you get this kind of ambiguity. Um, it's, not painted, it's not painted in black and white. Um, the audience kind of goes with the Marcoses and the Kino, and they kind of cheer them on. They're, the audience is really happy when they win the election. And uh, The way that the country was, too. Yeah, as the yeah. country was. So the audience is kind of put in the position of the Philippine people, although it's mostly North Americans in the audience. So they kind of feel like, oh, we're the people, we're happy, we're happy about it too. And then they, then they see things starting to change and the kind of the parties and everything else and whatever. We don't, we don't go into details about how much money was, went into Swiss accounts or anything like that. But we, realize, we kind of allow the audience to feel like um, there's all this really good stuff, they're really proud, they're happy, and then, then there's another side to it and, and things go wrong. And to, to a point where I think the audience also feels like, okay, this has got to end. This has got to stop. Yeah, I think the extraordinary experience uh, about sitting through the show is that you, as an audience member, you are seduced by them the way the people of the Philippines were seduced by them. Have your parents seen the show? Mine, yes, a couple of times. A couple of times. And my, my mom, uh, she wasn't as politically hot-headed as my dad was, and my, my dad was, and he was the reason, he was at the bridge, he was at a bunch of student protests, yeah. he went to UE, which is University of the Philippines East, which uh, housed a lot of like the hot-headed journalists, uh, my, one of my godmothers was, was in prison for seven years, um, so, you know, every Filipino-American who, who's here came here with, with different journeys, and, and our families, you know, the internet didn't exist 40 years ago, so like people weren't as in tune with all the information going around what was happening back, back then. So there were ma massive pockets of Filipinos who didn't see the corruption, they didn't see the, the murders, they didn't see the imprisonment happening. And so there were generations of Filipinos who grew up thinking, wow, why are they taking this beautiful couple out of power? Um, our, our job is not to tell you how to f what to feel and what to think after you see the show. I think our job as artists and as performers is to tell the story. And I think David has done such a great job. A lot of the lyrics are, are li lifted directly from interviews and things that she said verbatim. And especially with Aquino, things that he said verbatim were put in the show. That we're just presenting the story. We're, just, we're presenting the history. And it's your job as a Filipino-American to go home and talk to your family about it and see how they feel about it. And I think that's my, the only thing that I would respond to that question. Hi, thanks. Um, we loved the show uh, in London a couple of weeks back, uh, and the thing that struck me most about it is that not just that the audience is an integrated part of the, pr uh, of the production, but the auditorium is as well. Does that limit your ability to actually take it into other places? Is that the reason why it's not on, on Broadway? Uh, and does that mean that you, can't really, you couldn't take it, for example, into a traditional West End London theatre? Good question. Uh, yes, the answer is yes. Uh, at least in its current form, which is the intended form, uh, so w which we're going to try and maintain it in that form as long as we can. But it, it does limit where it can go. Um, the theater in, here in New York and the one in London have, are both kind of black box, empty, empty, you know, big square rooms that have been converted with a balcony added and added to turned into a kind of simulation of a dance club. 
but you can't, it'd be kind of really expensive in, to do that in a, a regular theater. And to take the show and move it in, onto a stage in a conventional theater, it could be done, but you'd lose that sense of immersion that the, that the audience feels where they feel like they're in Manila or that they're, they're being pushed around and stuff so they, they feel like we're there, we, you know, we experienced it. Thank you. First of all, I'm such a fan of the show. I've seen it three times, and bravo to you, David, and everyone involved in it. Um, my question is, um, uh, sp uh, how were the tracks created, specifically what technology was used in creating them, the musical tracks? I, I did uh, a lot of the music with Fatboy Slim, who lives in um, Brighton, about two hours south of London. And I had kind of the story mapped out, at least when I started working, it, it evolved and changed, but I had, it worked out in different scenes where I thought, okay, we need a song here, we need a song that says this, a song that, that tells, that expresses this moment. Da, da, da. I didn't tell him what it was, but he sent me uh, kind of beats and grooves and stuff like that as, you know, what he uses, the kind of things he uses in his music. And then I would send him um, kind of demos, recording demos in Logic, which I think, yeah, Apple now, it's now an Apple product. And, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then so I would say, okay, here's my bare bones demo of one of the things, and I'd, I'd, I would sing it. Uh, and I'd say, you know, it's supposed to be a woman singing here, whatever. And I would, he sort of didn't care. He would just add, add his beats and stuff to that. And so it would go back and forth that way for a while until we started having it fleshed out. And then when they started to take some of the songs, I then had kind of, kind of orchestral arrangements done for them to go on top of the beats so that you would, um, because the music of that time, like the OJs and various groups, that's what they did. They had these incredible grooves, but then they had like string parts and stuff done it. So I did a little bit of that. And then as the show evolved and I was got more assignments like, okay, we need a song for Aquino that sets him up and tells us what he's about. We need a song where Aquino and Amelda um, express their affection, but then kind of break up where, where you can see that they're incompatible. And so I, at that point, the, the needs of the songs were so specific that I, I didn't really get uh, Norman, Fatboy Slim, involved anymore. I thought, okay, this is really just about fulfilling uh, the needs of particular parts in the story. That was it. That was it. And since I think Here Lies Love is a great addition to the American musical theater, I would like to get from each one of you... Um, Perhaps the, the most important musical in your life when you were growing up that made you want to get involved in the theater? Start with you, Jim. Sound of Music. Sound of Music. I yeah. wanted to be 16 going on 17 for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Conrad? Uh, I didn't grow up with musicals. Uh, I grew up with pop music, and that was like, that meant the world to me. Uh, um, so if I had to 
pick a musical, it'd be the the movie version of Mary Poppins. I know that's lame, but that's the one. <laughs> Sorry. Jose, can you come up with <laughs> something a little more um, substantial? Yeah, you know, it's Sound of Music and also West Side Story. And then and then when I got a little more geeky and discovered Sondheim and and the they were able I they had on videotape. I, I rented I the first the, the, the Sweeney Todd that that of the first national tour, Sweeney Todd kinda changed my life. So And David? Musical you loved as a kid? Wow, yes. I was, as a very, very young, I, my parents had Sound of Music and maybe West Side Story, but probably My Fair Lady and that kind of stuff. So they, that was in the house. And then, of course, I, maybe not of course, but I sort of pushed that aside and I goes, no, 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 no. I, you know, I like this other kinds of music, rock and R&B and stuff like that, and kind of felt like, okay, the musical thing is... That's in the past, and then more recently, I realized, oh, there's, there might be ways to take this form and kind of bring it into the present day. Um, and I know there've been like rock operas and things like that before, but I thought, oh, maybe there's another way to do this. Maybe there's another way to bring this really, make it really feel contemporary. Well, I think you've succeeded, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs>